Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, here we are, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Yeah, actually, I think I think all the books in the Bible are my favorite books in the Bible. So <laughs> here in 1 Samuel, we're also in the Judges era. And that's very important to understand because if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges. You'll understand a whole lot more because in the Judges era, what was happening is people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And what was happening is that time and time and time and time and time again, the Lord became forgotten among the masses. But not so with the remnant. Among the remnant, the Lord was remembered. Among the remnant, the Lord was honored. And the Lord sees. And even to this day, among the remnant, the Lord is remembered. The Lord is honored. And the Lord still sees. And so here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We get started here in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, or Ephraim, but of the mountains of Ephraim. Now, the mountains of Ephraim, does that sound familiar? Remember in our study in the book of Judges in chapter 4 with Deborah? That's where Deborah would go and sit. Remember Judges chapter 4? That's in verse 5. The mountains of Ephraim. And we see here in verse 1, you know, this certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. We see that in verse 2. He had two wives. Now, let's pause here for a moment. And something we always mention and we'll keep mentioning. We're going to keep mentioning this and with heavy, heavy emphasis toward my, towards my sisters in Christ. You know, we see passages like this of, you know, multiple wives and multiple concubines. And, you know, sometimes you hear guys and they teach the Bible. Sometimes you hear pastors, you know, and they say, well, you know, that was just a cultural thing, you know. So multiple wives and multiple concubines, you know. It was just cultural, no big deal. Listen, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And I say this to my beautiful sisters in Christ whom I love. We see passages like this and there's two wives, multiple wives, multiple, multiple concubines. And when Jesus, our Lord, when he, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, when he was asked about what was right in regard to marriage, the religious leaders, they attempted to trap our Lord. And it's Jesus who would always point to the beginning. He would tell them, in the beginning, it was not so. He would always point to the beginning. He pointed to the garden, Eden, paradise. You see? And he said, in the beginning, it was not so. How many wives did Adam have? You see? Post-flood, how many wives did Noah have? And our Lord, he would always point to the beginning. And you remember our study in Galatians, the law is the additive. The law was added because of sin. And Jesus would tell the religious leaders, he said, Moses wrote the law because of you. That's what the Lord, that's what our Lord, our King, our Savior, our Master, our everything, that's what he told the religious leaders. It was in the law because of you. The hearts of men were hard, you see. And then, you know, there's the common adage, you know, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. 
Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Well, in the Old Testament, many men, many, many men, they didn't take an inch. They took many miles, you see? And we do see multiple wives and multiple concubines. But there's something else we always, you know, you know, we have to account for. In these situations, you know, you hear a lot of pastors sometimes and teachers, they say, well, you know, that was just a cultural thing. You know, multiple wives, multiple concubines, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because number one, our Lord says in the beginning, it was not so. In paradise, Eden, and don't forget, paradise was lost. And paradise, paradise is found once again. It's where we're going. It's very important for all of us to understand the formula. When you hear guys say, well, that was just a cultural thing. So, uh, you know, a couple wives here, a couple concubines here. Concubines, oh, they, they're, they're the spouses, but they're concubines. You know what that is? That's a sexual slave. It's like, you know, having a wife, but strictly for the purpose of sex. And when we see, you know, these things in the Old Testament, there's something else we also see. Multiple wives, multiple concubines, and multiple mess multiple mess you see and for my sisters we read passages like this with elkanah and where men have multiple wives and i want you to know my beautiful sisters in christ i want you to know that for me i don't like it i don't like the plurality of wives and the plurality of concubines i don't like it and we have to remember what our lord says he points to the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. So the law was then added, and don't forget, added because of sin. Remember our study in Galatians, our study in, in Hebrews, where we see that the law has loopholes and certain inabilities. Remember our study through the book of Hebrews. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our studies through Galatians and Hebrews. Go and listen. They're there for you. And in the law's fulfillment, and I speak of Christ, there is a return to innocence. Like in the beginning, one wife. One wife. That's one of the dangers of the Hebrew Roots Movement. One of, you know, multiple dangers, but that's one of many dangers with the Hebrew Roots Movement where some permit multiple wives, multiple concubines, multiple sexual slaves. As we see in the Old Testament, you know why? Because you have leadership in the Hebrew Roots Movement and they're perverts, wolves. And these so-called pastors, what happened is so-called. They willfully forget that in the law is death. You see? And as New Covenant believers, for those married, one wife. One wife. You see? We have to understand the rules of engagement of each covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. You see? And sometimes, you know, you see the in the Hebrew Roots movement, it's like, well, you know, we, we got to be heavy with the law and heavy with the law. And, you know, these things were permitted in the law. Therefore, you know, husbands, if you want to have number one, number two, number three, go ahead. If you want to have number four, number five, number six, go ahead. You see? They speak and teach on things they do not understand. Very important to understand. But there's something else. There's something else that we cannot overlook according to the Spirit. 
you and me. You and me, we are in Christ. You're my brother or you're my sister. You know, if you're male, you're my brother. If you're female, you're my sister. And we're in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And to to say we're the bride of Christ, that's very, very forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened yet. That is a pending event. We are the wise virgins of these last days, you and me. Now, let me ask you a question. When the bridegroom arrives, when he arrives, will he have multiple wives? You see? We are, you know, I'm part of the bride of Christ. You're part of the bride of Christ. And when the bridegroom arrives, when our king arrives, when our Lord arrives, will he have multiple wives? You see? And it might seem that way. And a lot of false teachers paint it that way to excuse their own lusts, especially among the Hebrew roots movement. It might seem to be the case with the exception of this. What about when the body is one? What about you and me when we become one? You see? With all who believe. What about when we're one? The very thing that Brother John teaches us about. It just so happens we studied this, you know. We're, 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 we're in the studies to the, uh, the letters of John. You see? One in Christ. Unity. The body is one. It's a big problem today in the church because you have pastors today, they're pushing unity for the sake of unity. Unity for the sake of unity, it seems to be a good thing because after all, we do want unity, but it's unbiblical. Unity isn't for the sake of unity. Our unity is for the sake of purity. You see, we are wise virgins. You see, awaiting the bridegroom. The foolish virgins will be left on the outside. Over Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, where Jesus is on the outside, they have unity. They are a unified body of people calling themselves a church, except Jesus is on the outside. You see, and they do have unity. Unity as loud the sayings, you see. Now, in that case, is unity a good thing? No. Because Jesus is on the outside. But unity for the sake of purity? That's different. These are things that we have to understand. And so for my sisters in Christ, you know, we're going to come across, you know, in the Old Testament, we're going to come across passages where we see, well, you know, this guy has multiple wives. This other guy, he has more wives. This other guy has even more wives. And this other guy has more wives and concubines. Multiple wives, multiple concubines. And in some cases, a whole lot. And for me, I don't like it. Because our Lord is the one who says, in the beginning, it was not so. You see? But the Lord is showing us certain things through these Old Testament examples. You and me. And that's just two, you and me. You might be my brother, you might be my sister, but you and me. We're just two people. You see? 
And when Jesus returns, when our Lord returns, is he going to have multiple wives? No. But what happens when you and me are one? You see? What happens when the faithful are one? Unity. Not unity for the sake of uni unity. Not unity for the sake of, hey, let's, let's have a social club in Laodicea. No. But unity for the sake of purity. Philadelphia. Smyrna. You see? These are things that we could never lose sight of. You know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, we shouldn't lose sight of them, but even more so in these last days. And so my sisters in Christ, we read passages like this where Elkanah has two wives and it's like, man, you know, he has two wives, you know. Be of good cheer because the Lord, he's showing us something. He's teaching us. And these are things that we must understand. So Elkanah has two wives here in verse 2. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had, two ch had children, but Hannah had no children. So we see Hannah and Panina. Hannah, she can't have babies. And Elkanah, in verse 3, This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So in Shiloh, in Shiloh, there is a gathering where worship and sacrifice unto the Lord is done. And Elkanah is there. The priests are there. Priest Hophni and Priest Phinehas. They're the two sons of Eli, who is high priest in Shiloh. And we might look at this, this, this particular scenario unfolding and think everything's fine. We have a couple of priests after all. And we're going to see certain things unfold in our studies through 1 Samuel which we're going to start to see. And as they unfold that, we're going to get a clear picture of what's happening. And notice what happens here in verse four. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, this is kind of old school. This is kind of old school because, you know, we don't see a lot of this culturally anymore. You know, just so you know, I teach from presently, I teach from America, the United States. And culturally speaking, in this day and age, we don't see this very much anymore. You know, if it were in like 1930s, 1950s, you know, maybe we'd see more of it. And even before then, where, you know, the men, they were the bread earners. And the women stayed home and it was the men that would give their wives an allowance, like a, a weekly allowance or maybe like a bi-weekly or, or, or like a monthly allowance. But the purpose was that to buy stuff for the home, buy groceries, you know, buy certain things and whatnot, you know, have, you know, a certain budget, you know, and the men would, you know, give these like a, an allowance. You see it a lot in the 30s. Like if you, if you watch like, you know, like shows from the 30s or, you know, movies from the 30s, you'll see like the men say, you know, here's your allowance and like you. You, you hear that now, like women now, you know, you, you watch an old school show, old school, like an old school movie. You're like, what? You're like an allowance, you know, but that was a cultural thing back in the day. And even further back in the day in the era of first Samuel, it was commonplace. The men were the bread earners. Now, for my sisters who are married, being a homemaker is a very, very beautiful thing. 
a homemaker. But it's not understood properly. You have a lot of disqualified pastors who teach about being a homemaker. And the wives turn themselves into slaves in the home. Go and listen to our studies on the Christian home. Very important to understand. Very important to understand. Thewayunderground.com Go and listen. And learn to be a biblical homemaker. You'll understand a whole lot more. And so, you know, these are things that we have to understand. You know, there's a a cultural norm in our present day. And there's a cultural norm according to the word of God. And there's a cultural norm according to the Old Testament generation. And what is it that is pleasing unto the Lord? Across time. What is it that's pleasing unto the Lord? You see? And so a lot of wives, you know, I, I, I completely understand for my sisters in Christ, you know, you see, you know, we read passages in the Bible. It's like, wow, this guy has two wives. Wow, this guy has like, you know, 10 wives, 100 wives, and you know, concubines. And I get it. I don't, I don't like it. But we have to understand what our Lord says. How our Lord points to the beginning. Says, hey, in the beginning, it was not so. You see? In the beginning, it was not so. Adam, one wife. Noah, one wife. Paul, zero wife. He said like, no. And his recommendation is, you know, hey, everybody stay like me. You know, be single. Today, you see like young ladies in their 20s. You see them, oh, look at me. I'm a homemaker. I'm a homemaker. I do this for my husband. I do that for my husband. Look at me. You know, follow me for more marriage tips. You see these young ladies. Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a homemaker. I'm a homemaker. You know what you don't see? You don't see the 50-year-old women saying that. (laughs) You don't see the 45-year-old women saying that. You don't see the 40-year-old. You don't see the 60-year-old women saying that. You see? You see the young ones saying it. Because it's nouveau for the nouveau. With a faith that's nouveau. And for my married sisters... Go and listen to our studies. Learn to be a biblical homemaker. It's not about being a slave in your home. You see? And at the same time, learn as uh, learn to be as though unmarried. You see? For the sake of the better husband. Remember what Paul says? For those who are married, to be as though you are unmarried, And he says, for the sake of the better husband, so that we may be pleasing to him. And that takes maturity. That takes time. Me, personally, I don't like talking about marriage. I don't like teaching about marriage. You know, I'll teach you about marriage. But the reason why I don't like teaching about my marriage, I'll teach about it, but I don't like teaching about it. But I love to teach about it. But the reason why I don't like to teach about it is because how it's going to be received. Because a lot of times, married people... You have the, the wives, oh, you know, t- tell my husband to love me. Tell my husband to love me. And then you have the husband, hey, tell my wife to submit to me. Tell my wife to submit to me. But to come to the, however long it takes to come to the conclusion, hey, you know, be as though you're unmarried. A lot of times people don't like to hear that. And it's not, you know, be as though you're unmarried so that you can go to, you know, ladies night. So you can go to the bar and pretend you're not married. No, 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 no. That's wickedness. To be as though unmarried so that we can please the Lord for the sake of the better husband. Very important to understand. 
So Elkanah, he gives portions to his family, a double portion for Hannah, whose womb the Lord has closed. And so here we are in verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely. Now, in the Hebrew, translates the rival translates as female adversary and source of affliction and tribulation and anguish. You see, you know, a lot of mess. You know, you know, sometimes you see men, you know, like, yeah, you know, they, they think, okay, you know, like, you know, oh, back in the day, they had multiple wives and multiple concubines, you know, and you see men, you know, they, they, they think that's a good thing. They, they, they see that. And, you know, you, I've been in men's study groups before where like the, the pastor would teach about, you know, multiple wives in the Old Testament. And then you see the men get like all giddy, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, that's so cool. Fools. Mess upon mess upon mess upon mess upon mess. Look at what you see here. Rivalry in the home. And in the Hebrew, it's a female adversary, a source of affliction and tribulation and anguish. What do you expect? And Penina, or Penina, she would provoke Hannah. And in the Hebrew, it's to grieve and make sorrowful. We see here in verse 6, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. I have such a heart for Hannah. I'm so in love with Hannah. She can't have babies. She can't have babies. And that hurts enough. And then you have Panina. And she pours salt on the wound. And that definitely has to hurt. And hurt badly. And in the Hebrew, what it did to Hannah is make her, how it translates in the Hebrew is violently agitated and irritated. This is something that easily happens with pain and hurt and sorrow. All of these things are part of the human experience. The Lord created us with emotions. And emotions are beautiful. Emotions are absolutely beautiful. You see? Something happens when pain and hurt and sorrow when it's taken course in our hearts, when it's taken course in our minds, something happens where emotion can shift to the carnal realm. And in every single case, in all cases, we must, we must, 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 we take it to the Lord. You see? Pain and hurt and sorrow. has its course in our hearts. It has its course in our minds. We're created with emotions. But it could lead to anger. It could lead to rage. It could lead to even more hurt. It could lead to depression. It could lead to anxiety. It could lead to all kinds of different things. But we take it to the Lord. We take it to Jesus. You see? Anger, take it to Jesus. Rage, take it to Jesus. Pain, take it to the Lord. Take it all to Jesus. And something I want to say about the multiple wives and concubines that we see in Scripture, it only produces mess. That's all it produces. 
And I have been in men's study groups before where, you know, a pastor is teaching, you know, from the Old Testament. And, you know, they had mentioned the multiple wives and multiple concubines, concubine number one, two, three, four, five, six. And you see the men. You see the men, you know, they they get really, they get giggly. They get giddy. They're like, wow, this is so cool. Multiple wives, multiple concubines. This is so cool. And my very first thought, they're poor wives. They're poor wives. And then my second thought, man, this pastor's dumb. The pastor's revealing his own, his own foolishness by failing to teach how multiple wives, multiple concubines, how it begets multiple mess so that men can realize Wow, you know, this, according to the flesh, this might look one way, but according to the spirit, it, it's another way, which leads to according to the flesh, it just turns into more mess and more mess and more mess. Dumb pastors who fail to teach. And in the case of Solomon, which we haven't got there yet, but we're going to get there. In the case of Solomon, he had multiple wives. He had multiple concubines, a lot. And I've seen men really like that part of the Bible. Really, really like that part of the Bible. Go to one, go to two, go to three, go to the next one, next one, next one. And you see the men like, wow, that's so cool. Fools. We must never forget what it led to. It led to idolatry. It led to the Lord becoming forgotten. Baby steps at first. But it only snowballs into something worse and more terrible. And so we have beautiful Hannah. She was like the, the black sheep, so to speak. And we see here in verse 7, So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Every year, year by year, Penina would provoke, press the buttons, cause hurt, cause pain, and Hannah would hurt badly. You see? Remember, in the Hebrew, violently agitated and irritated. Penina. That's what she would provoke in Hannah. And you know, Something so beautiful, so beautiful, is what we don't see in Hannah. You see? Because we don't see Hannah turn to carnal behavior in her pain and violent irritation. We don't see Hannah become carnal. Remember our study in the book of Ruth? How we looked at righteousness in the book of Ruth? Yes, there's righteousness by what we see. But there's also righteousness by what we don't see. Remember in the in the book of Ruth, you have the older wealthy man and the younger woman. They're together. They're alone. They're lying down. They slept together. And when I say slept together, I don't say that in the worldly sense, like, you know, they slept together. I say it in a biblical sense where they slept. They literally sleep. They're alone. And through it, we see nothing but holiness. In what we don't see, 
We don't see carnality. We don't see carnal behavior. We don't see wickedness. And that's in the book of Ruth. And here we are in 1 Samuel. And we see the same thing in Hannah. She's got the pain. Absolutely, she's got the pain. She can't have babies. She's got the hurt. Yes, absolutely. Number one, she can't have babies. And then number two, Panina is egging her on. You see? She's got irritation and how it translates in Hebrew, it's violent. And these are things that are within her, in her heart, in her mind. And I'm so in love with her. I'm so in love with Hannah because notice what we don't see in Hannah. We don't see carnality. You see? Look at Panina, the other woman. What's happening is they're going to worship the Lord and make sacrifice and she has a portion and she does perform the duties of sacrifice unto the Lord. Panina does it. But look at her heart. Look at her behavior. Look at her countenance. You see, with carnal eyes, it's like, wow, look, Panina, she's she's worshiping the Lord. Wow, she's making sacrifice. Wow, she's she's doing these duties of sacrifice. Wow, she's she's doing a good thing. With carnal eyes, you can look and be like, wow, that is a good thing. But with eyes to see, you start to realize like you start to realize that Panina. I mean, you look at her behavior, her cruelty, her meanness. You see? You see something different. There's a disconnect with her worship and her behavior. There's a disconnect with her sacrifice and her behavior. There's a disconnect. And according to the ways of Adam... She could have an appearance of what the carnal deem as beauty. But, I don't know about you, but to me, she's straight up nasty. Straight up ugly. I don't like that. You see? You could look at Panina and she might have what the world deems to be beauty. She might have that, according to Adam. She might have that. And she's going to go worship the Lord. She's making sacrifice unto the Lord. And it seems like a good thing. But when you look at her behavior, man, that's ugly. You see, that's just nasty. Now picture this. Panina with offering and Hannah with offering. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think God will notice? Who do you think the Lord will notice? You see? And here we are in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you weep? You know, Elkanah, He sees the countenance of his wife, and yet he's oblivious. He's oblivious. Why do you weep, Anna? You see? He's oblivious. 
And Elkanah continues to ask her, why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That's Elkanah. Awfully presumptuous of him. And in the Old Testament and New Testament and still today, for my sisters in Christ, a lot of men are completely oblivious to a lot of things. It's a good way for wives to exercise grace. But we can never forget the better husband. Never. In verse 9, so Hannah arose. Arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So the previous priests, those were the sons of Eli. Now they're with now this is the dad, Eli, the priest. He's sitting at the doorpost at the tabernacle of the Lord. And with Hannah, she's in bitterness of soul. And she prays to the Lord and she's weeping in anguish. Now, when you look at Hannah's situation and station at this particular moment, how can you not but feel for her? In her pain, in her bitterness, in her anguish, and she's weeping. Remember, you and me, we're created with emotions. That's how the Lord made us. God gave them to us. And with our emotions, we experience extremes to these emotions. But never forget Hannah as an example for us to take it to the Lord. We go to the Lord. That's what Hannah is doing here. I mean, it's, it just blows me away so much because it's so it's so stunning. Stunning in beauty, stunning in splendor, stunning in righteousness because of what we don't see in Hannah. You don't see Hannah bad-mouthing Penina. You don't see Hannah bad-mouthing Elkanah. But she goes to the Lord with her pain, with her anguish, and she's just straight up in sorrow, weeping. And notice what happens here in verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, don't forget maidservant, it's female bondservant. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. She's making a vow to the Lord. And this vow to the Lord concerning this, she's not asking for a baby. She's not asking for, you know, she's pretty specific. A male child. A male child. That's what she's asking for. Pretty specific. And in this prayer request of hers, it's Rather priestly, it seems. Rather priestly. And keep in mind, her lineage is of Ephraim. And yet Hannah is dedicating her baby that she doesn't yet have. And she's dedicating him to the Lord. She doesn't, she doesn't, remember, she can't have babies. She's barren. 
and she's praying for a baby and dedicating him to the Lord, making her petitions known to him, you see. And here we are in verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, remember Eli's high priest, Eli watched her mouth. Verse 13, now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Wow. Good old priests. Good old priests. He thinks he has all this discernment, but he cannot discern the prayers of this beautiful woman. Just, just sit back and go, you know, she's praying to the Lord. No, he first thought, oh, she's drunk. She's drunk. Let me tell you something about the priestly class and the pastor class. When you understand formula, according to the word of God, when you understand formula and the qualifications of priests in the Old Testament and the qualification of pastors in the New Covenant, pastors even still today, when you understand formula, that holy recipe, you'll also understand that there are a lot of so-called pastors who have no business at the pulpit. Very important, even more so in these last days. They have inabilities and incapabilities, one of which is the inability to discern. And this is something that we see grow worse in Hannah's era. And it's also something we see growing worse in our era. And priest Eli, supposedly a learned man, priest Eli, he's also awfully presumptuous, awfully presumptuous. And in his presumption, presumptuous way, he just supposes, oh, she's drunk. Hannah's drunk. And so in verse 14, so Eli said to her, how long will we be drunk? Put away your wine from you, exclamation points. You see, I'm going to be straight up with you. Priest Eli, he bugs me. He bugs me. Number one, he has no discernment. Number two, he's already accusing her. Put your wine away, exclamation point. How long will you be drunk? He's already accusing her. And then, Maybe I'm being a little overly cautious with Eli at this particular juncture in 1 Samuel chapter 1. But why is he watching her mouth? We see that in verse 12. Why is he watching her mouth? Let the woman pray. Let her pray. Why is he going to? Why can't he just look and see she's praying and just turn away? Okay, let her pray. Why is he going to be watching her mouth? I don't know. That's just me. Some of them might say, but he's the priest. He's a holy man. Surely he knows his stuff. One might think. And we're going to see certain things unfold in our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to see certain things unfold. And I'm so in love with Hannah. Look at her gentleness. Look at her meekness. And look at her humility through all of this. Look at her. Look at what she's taking. 
First there's Panina. Look at what she's taking from her. Then there's Elkanah. Look at what he's taking from. Look at what she's taking from him. Now you have the priest, Eli. And yet through it all, she's gentle, she's meek, and she's humble. You think the Lord won't notice? You see? Just like we see in the in the book of Ruth. In an era when people are doing what is right in their own eyes, the Lord became forgotten over and over and over. Idolatry over and over and over. And yet, what's this over here? Naomi? What's this over here? Ruth? What's this over here? Boaz. In another generation, what's this over here? Hannah. It's so beautiful. It blows me away. I'm so in love with our family of faith, male, female, young, old, because they teach us. They teach us. They show us the ways of righteousness. They teach us the ways of righteousness through their own behaviors. Remember, Hannah, she's not priest. She's not prophetess. Boaz, not priest, not prophetess. Or, you know, not priest, but with Ruth, not prophetess. You look at their lineage and what do you see? You see Rahab, prostitute, former prostitute who came to the Lord. You think like, oh, you know, that's pretty messed up. The Lord could never use that. What? He absolutely uses. You see, I don't care whatever you're, you know, you're a prostitute. You might be listening. You're a prostitute. You're a stripper. You're a gambler. I don't care. You come to the Lord. I mean, I care, but, you know, in terms of, hey, come to the Lord. The Lord can do beautiful things in you and through you. But I can't make that choice for you. I can teach you. But you have to make the choice, you see. And if that's you, right here, right now, and you might be a stripper, you might be a gambler, you might be a prostitute, you might be whatever. And right here, right now, you can be a Christian. You can be my brother. You can be my sister in Christ. And what you do is you hit pause and then you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ and then you come back, you listen, we grow together. We journey together because where we're going, we're going to paradise. You see? Yeah, paradise was lost. The book of Genesis. Paradise was lost. Absolutely. But it's found. And that's where we're going. And it's in Christ. You see? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Hannah. Look at her countenance. And so the priest is accusing her. Oh, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk. And verse 15. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. Notice, not capital L, lowercase l. No, my Lord. And she's acknowledging his position as priest. No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. 
I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Look at the countenance of her. Beautiful Hannah. And priest Eli assumed her to be drunk. And she tells him, don't consider me to be a daughter of Belial. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. A daughter of Belial or a daughter of wickedness. And she even humbles herself to the authority and position of Eli as priest. And she tells him that she's been pouring her soul before the Lord. Pouring out her soul. In the abundance of her complaint and grief. And this complaint in the Hebrew, it is a prayer. In the Hebrew, it is a prayer. But it's a complaint type of prayer. But a complaint as a grievance. And I love that. You see, the the Lord knows what he's working with. With you and with me. With us. The Lord knows what he's working with. And it's so beautiful because we go to him in prayer. That hurt, that anguish, Hannah, she didn't go beat up Panina. She didn't get in an argument with Elkanah. She didn't lash out at Eli. But she's going to the Lord. Making her grievance known to him. You see? What a message for us today. For you and for me. What a message for us today. That we can take everything to the Lord in prayer. You see, the Lord knows what he's dealing with. The Lord knows. And so we continue here in verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now, look at all this opportunity there was for Hannah to be carnal. Ample opportunity. You see? Opportunity to be carnal with Penina. Absolutely. Her husband, absolutely. With priest Eli, absolutely. But we don't see that. We don't see that in Hannah. Remember, sometimes, sometimes righteousness is seen by what is unseen. You see? Ample room for what could have happened, but it didn't. And I want to say something to men. Oftentimes, men, you know, we get on a high horse. But my exhortation to you, my urging to you, my warning to you, get off the high horse. Stay off the high horse. A lot of men like to exalt themselves, but they do so to their own destruction. Every single man, every single man can learn humility from the example of Hannah. But she's female, she's female, she's female, and we're men. We're the covering. Don't forget, in Christ, in Christ, there is no male, female. 
You see? We're one in Christ. So now we go back to the tent of Elkanah. And here we are in verse 19. In verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, you know, Elka and Hannah, they have sexual intercourse. When you see this a lot of times, not all the times, but when you see this, like Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, that's like, you know, they, they, you know, they, 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 they get together. They, you know, the, the handle business, you know, is they, they, the sexual intercourse. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And notice what we see here in verse 19. And the Lord remembered her. <laughs> this blows me away so much. You see, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, when we start a study and like, ah, you know, this is my favorite book in the Bible. And then, you know, today, you know, this is my favorite book in the Bible. They're all my favorite book in the Bible because you see the handiwork of our Lord. You see how he works. You see how he responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. You see, remember our study in Deuteronomy 28, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Remember, very important to understand. Look at beautiful Hannah. Look at all the ample room for carnality. And with her, we do not see that. You see, and the Lord remembers her. The Lord remembers her. In verse 20, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Samuel in the Hebrew means heard of God. Heard of God. Hannah, don't forget, she, she was barren. She could not have kids. And formerly an object of ridicule by Penina. Now, with Hannah, let's hit the rewind button a little bit. Just nine months. Give or take a couple days, several days. Nine months prior. Let's go back in time and remember the prayer of Hannah. She was hurt. She was grieving. And her prayer included complaints and grievances, prayers to the sovereign. And she made a vow to the Lord and the Lord remembers her, you see? And now look, now she has little baby Samuel, you see? Now verse 21, now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Now. Remember her vow in verse 11? Her vow in verse 11. And remember, we reflect back on our earlier studies in the law, if you've been walking with us for a while. And we know how the Lord sees vows, how he takes vows. Very serious. And a lot of times today, you know, parents, parents like to see baby dedications as, you know, it's just another day. You know, I'm going to dress up the kid. I have a, a little boy, little daughter, you know, and I can just dress him up, dress her up, you know, and the pastor says a prayer and that's it. No big deal. Nice little baby dedication. Parents, don't do that. Don't do that. Baby dedications are a wonderful thing, a beautiful thing. And they are holy. 
No takebacks. No takebacks. You dedicate your little boy, you dedicate your little daughter. No takebacks. Dedicate it unto the Lord. And so in verse 23, so Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, to say, do what seems best to you, that's in most cases inadvisable. Do what seems best to you. But every once in a blue moon, you'll encounter a Hannah. You'll encounter a Deborah. You'll encounter a Joshua where doing what seems best is nothing but holiness in the will of the Lord. You see? So beautiful what we see unfolding. We're going to see more unfold, but wow, just the conception. <laughs> Literally too. It's so beautiful. And it's true that there were constructed holy places of worship. But I venture to think that a greater place of worship, perhaps, was with Hannah and her baby. Nursing life. Mama Hannah. Baby Samuel. You see, and both in the presence of the Lord. Verse 24, now, when she had weaned him, so little Samuel's diet consists of things other than milk now. Other than milk. And in verse 24, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Now, I don't know precisely how young little Samuel was, but he's off milk. You see, so we have an idea of how young he may have been, but it's not exactly clear. But he was probably very young. In verse 25, then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, lowercase l, she's to the to the high priest. And she says, oh, my Lord. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. So a little refresher for priest Eli. You know, Hannah, she's, you know, remember me from a couple years ago? And again, I don't know how old little Samuel was, but probably pretty young. Hannah, who was once barren, is reminding the priest, priest Eli. And in verse 27, for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Now, from the priest's perspective, from Eli's perspective, he's remembering, oh, yeah. I remember now. You're the lady I thought was drunk. And so now there's this little boy with her. And she's telling the priest that this little boy is an answer to her prayer to the Lord. And in verse 28, in continuing to tell Eli, therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. I also have lent him to the Lord, she says. You see, the Lord honored Hannah's prayer. And now Hannah, she's honoring the Lord by fulfilling the vow that she made to him. 
And you might say, well, she's just lending her son to God. She's just lending Samuel to the Lord. Okay, let's continue. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. You see, no take backs. No take backs. So they worship the Lord there. Do you remember in our earlier studies through the law, how we would make mention of the transactional parties with sacrifice and offerings. Remember where a person has sacrifice and offerings unto the Lord, and that's one transaction. But then the Lord has provisions for the priesthood, and that's a separate transaction. Do you remember? And don't forget, in verse 24, Hannah, she came with three bulls. And in verse 25, only one was sacrificed. We see provision for the priesthood. But there's one remaining. Little Samuel. You see? An offering to the Lord and the sacrifice of Mama. You see? Honoring her vow unto the Lord. The sacrifice of Mama. Here, Lord. Here is my son. Here is my child. Here, Lord. You see? Beautiful and lovely Hannah. I'm so in love with her. I'm so in love with our family of faith. Because you see, when the multitudes, when the masses are doing what is right in their own eyes, when the Lord becomes forgotten, there is a remnant that remembers him. There is a remnant that honors him. We see it all through scripture. Genesis to Revelation, we see it. You and me, we have a choice to make. To honor the Lord for every day of our lives until we're home. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way. A remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.